Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast live from Wimbledon on day 10 of the championships which have just seen our semi-final lineup set. I'm Catherine Whitaker, Matt's here. Hello Matt. Hello and the rain is here. Mm. (laughs) We didn't plan for it, we're very committed to the dry weather position so we're just going to have to see how it goes. David's here in in a waterproof jacket yeah. you sorted yourself out David don't worry about us I did bring you an umbrella um, but yes you're right I don't really care about that so that's okay <laughs> and Charlie Eccleshare of The Athletic is here Charlie nice to see you you learnt from Simon Briggs shorts mistake yesterday yeah I honestly was watching that and I, I felt cold and I, and I wore shorts myself yesterday so no judgement but I was like, yeah, I'm really glad I got that memo that it's colder up here. We're, um, we're particularly touched that you're here with us today because right at this moment on number one court, Thomas Enquist and Anne Gyothevong are playing a Legends mixed invitational doubles against Conchita Martinez and Greg Rosetsky. Wow. And Charlie, you're a big Greg guy. I was growing up, yeah. Was. I, I, uh, that Well, as in when he was still playing top flight tennis my i got into tennis midnight mid late 90s 97 was like a big year for me in tennis and he got to the us open final obviously and then i remember just watching like loads of indoor events after that which david you'll remember there was one he lo- do you remember he was two sets up against even Izovic at basel and lost yes that that was that was like i was i was big into greg then yeah. you don't know what level tennis he's playing True. because you're not watching yeah who knows what's going on on number one court right <laughs> now with Conchita. <laughs> um it's been an awesome day of tennis i think and perhaps awesome in places that we weren't quite expecting it none of the matches were were duffers today but i think I think the match of the day. I mean, Medvedev Eubanks could probably make a play for match of the day. I saw less of that. I was in a, a multi-screen situation on centre court. Unfortunately, watching that with the sound off, which means I don't know what Daniel, Daniel Medvedev was saying to Damien Dumusois. But luckily, David was in the court one commentary box, best possible seat in the house, and you can tell us everything. But I think the match of the day was Andrzej Burr against Elena Rabakina and the revenge 
storyline for Ange Jabeur. Yeah, well, she certainly wasn't backing off from that narrative, was she? She talked about wanting revenge in her previous on-court interview. Um, and I thought she was fantastic today. I think mentally as well as in her game, she really held it in today, that game. She, for the most part, put the drop shots away and the trick shots and all the things she's capable of doing and just played really solid tennis and tried to go toe-to-toe. And she served for the opening set and failed to serve it out. Um, Rebecca just sort of wrestled that from her. And then when it went into a tie-break and Rebecca won that tie-break, I mean, I I think it's a major achievement from Jabir that she didn't fault it would have been really easy to after losing two Grand Slam finals last year. You could easily go into a kind of, woe is me, it's never never my day. And she wasn't having any of that. She just sort of got it back and was deserving of that win. I'm, I'm somebody that when she lost that, that tie-break and showed the frustration that she did, not just upon losing that tie-break, but actually before she lost it, midway through that tie-break, when she lost the... When she went the mini-break down, she showed so much frustration I was worried about that I was really worried about her after that opening set and well I can see your smug face David we will come on to we will will come on to your big prediction in a moment Matt first your thoughts I thought the second half of that match was maybe the best tennis I've ever seen on Shabur play she was break points down in that second set, I think at two all, serving 15-40 after dropping that first set. She managed to hold and get out of that game. And afterwards, she was just absolutely awesome. And I'm, I am genuinely really interested to hear David's thoughts because even at that point, David was saying he felt like Ons was going to turn this match around. And I, personally, I was thinking, I don't know, I feel like Rabatkina with the first set in the bag will probably go on to win this. I think Rabatkina's serve definitely dropped off as the match went, went on. Her her percentage fell and also she wasn't hitting her spots quite so well. But Ons Chabur was leaning on it and the, and the backhand return in particular to then set up these forehands from Ons Chabur was absolutely incredible. As as David said, it wasn't, it wasn't the usual Ons Chabur that we see. There weren't that many drop shots. It was just sort of line-licking winners for a set and a half there and I thought she was just in the zone and she basically said to Rabatkina okay you want to hit powerful shots I'm ready for those powerful shots I will I will turn them back on you and hit them for winners and to do that from you know a set down against the player that caused her such heartache in the Wimbledon final last year there was a, there was a lot going on in in Jabir's head today and and she she managed it so so well and yeah this is a this is a little revenge tour that she's on because she uh, she'd lost to Petra Kvitova at Wimbledon before she'd lost and beaten her here she'd lost to Rabatkin of course last year now beaten her and uh, she's also lost to her next opponent at Wimbledon in the past so yeah revenge tour and love to see it now, David, I joke about your smugness, but actually I think you're being fantastically restrained because the message that you sent when Ons Jabeur lost that opening set on the tiebreak, I greeted it with a scoff, quite frankly. I was <laughs> concerned that that would be a landslide of a second set for Elena Rabatkina after Jabeur 
lost that first. I was really worried for her. I absolutely did not see coming what you absolutely saw coming. You came in with the hot take of all hot takes. Two points into the set. And it was... <laughs> Here it, comes Honestly, the honestly, well, that, honestly, just I take it away, David, it because it, it was a triumph. Mm. Well, look, there's, there's a few things. The first thing is the reason I thought she would win before the match, one was that she'd beaten Kvitova, which I just thought is a similar type of foe, really. Mm. Okay, different angles, but it's a similar trajectory of ball coming your way. So she's just handled that for the loss of three games. And I know that Kvitova didn't play well, but she got really bamboozled by Jaber. The other reason was the health of Rebecca. I know she's looked good, but she'd also played Katie Bolter, who isn't at that level, right? She's a good, she's a decent player, but she's nowhere near the level of these players. And that, I'm not dissing her by saying that. She's just not. Um, maybe one day she will be, but she certainly isn't at the moment. So that's 6-1, 6-1, and in 56 minutes. And then she's had a player retire against her at 4-1. So she's not had much tennis mm. in the last couple of rounds. She's not match tough. And who knows how much she's got in the tank really if it goes deep and that's why I thought it'd be th- three sets I would favour Jabert right the other thing that occurred to me it only started to occur to me during the first set is it just reminded me of sitting in the same seat during Ons Jabert against Garbini Magarutha two years ago and it's the first time I ever saw mm. Jabert and thought we have a top player on our hands here because she's facing Magarutha in form who's won two Grand Sum titles finally looking like herself again and she turned that around from a set down 5-7-6-3-6-2 and it was very similar scoreline in the end to this and it just I remember sitting next to Annabelle Croft in that match doing the commentary and we were both drunk on watching Ons Jabir that day it was one of those days that just makes you a fan and I thought well again Muguruza has got a similar type of game to Rebecca in her mm. so I believe that she's got this in her. Um, and look, it, some days it goes your way. <laughs> Just so Dave doesn't have a complete monopoly on smugness. I, I, I said, mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> who's invited him? I, uh, I did say yesterday I thought Jabir would go on and win the title. Why? I mean, Mainly, she, she hasn't done. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just Anywhere get that close. in. Just get that in before David's she goes out tomorrow. Very short term with this. Yeah, that's how. That's the truth. Yeah. David has said in the past that Onshaber won't be in a mix in a Grand Slam in his lifetime. <laughs> no, <I'm so> <laughs> Not that long ago. Just, I really in, hope you're going to yeah. make it to the weekend. If you David. go in the archives enough, there's something to make me look a fool in every every couple of months. Why? I mean, it was a partly fairly an arbitrary call, I'll admit. But I do think you. I think you guys were talking about it. I can't remember if it was before the tournament, but that she's not being spoken about necessarily as a big favourite. Whereas last year, it did feel like she herself was kind of cultivating that pressure as though she was one of the big favourites. I feel she's gone under the radar a little bit. And sometimes with um, players going for their first Grand Slam, you just get a sense that it's their time. Obviously, this would be her third. Grand Slam final. I don't know. I feel like she should have used those experiences. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just think she's coming through. Seems to be peaking at just the right time. But look, we'll see. I mean, tomorrow's going to be so interesting. That match. Really looking forward to that. But yeah, I think um, I think she's got a good shot. There was some Djokovician defiance about her, wasn't there? After winning, losing that first set, it was no, not again, not today. This this is not happening. I won't let it happen 
again, I won't go through that again. It was... Oh, I, I loved watching Onstrabe in that mode. And there's been some great tennis from Elena Rabakina this fortnight, but the baked-in confidence, the resistance wasn't quite there, was it? And, of course, now, looking back, that makes total sense. She She came in beyond undercooked and perhaps did well to get to this mm. point but I'm glad she did um, she's the first defending women's champion to reach the quarterfinals the following year since 2016 when Serena really? did it really wow yeah so that's that's a good effort from her and just confirms that she's here to stay at the top of the game and I, I still believe in a big three it might be a big four by the end of the week TBC on that but I do believe in the big three Barbara Krejcikova or Onstrabur? <laughs> <laughs> um, we've hinted at it, but it will be Arena Sabalenka that Onstrabur faces in the semi-finals tomorrow. She beat Madison Keys in two straight sets. Little moment of jeopardy here at the in the opening stages of the second set when Keys went a break-up. Did it ever really feel like jeopardy, though? I felt like this match was kind of the story of Madison Keys's career and the story of Arena Sabalenka's season. You know, it was it was Madison Keys getting through to the you know big stage in a Grand Slam uh, once again. She's reached so many quarterfinals and coming up against a player in Arena Sabalenka who is different in 2023. Um, First set, Sabalenka was really picking on the Keys' backhand. The backhand was making an awful lot of errors. I think David described it last night really, really well in terms of old power and new power. And it felt like Sabalenka hit hit the bigger ball and was able to rush Keys and and draw errors. And she was awesome in that set. But Keys really, to her credit, fought really well at the start of the second set and went to break up. 4-2-40 love, she's up in that second set. And that's the point where I'm, where I'm thinking that it sort of tells you all you need to know about both players because I don't think Keys sort of completely went off the boil. I don't think it was a choke, um, but she didn't stamp her authority on it. She didn't close it. And Sabalenka just a couple of years ago, I think, loses that game, loses the set and goes a breakdown in the third. And yet now she just has an ability to stop momentum going against her and, and turn it back around. And she won 11 points in a row after that and closed out the match really, really impressively. It was like she went, oh, you've started playing better, have you? I'll, I'll just play a bit better then. Mm. Here you go. Um, and the calmness with which she delivers that surge now is... It's unrecognisable from the player mm. she used to be. I know this isn't her first Wimbledon semi-final she she reached this stage two years ago lost out to Karolina Pliskova um but she's just a completely different player I think to the one that reached reached the last one yeah definitely and I think someone like Keys does does it very one-dimensional um and Sabalenka maybe that was an accusation that you would have leveled against her previously but I mean look a lot of the time she does just do plan a but better and that's fine but I think today she did have to find something different and yeah just on Keys I mean she does, I, I think that is what holds her back. I just don't think she's got enough variety, you know. And that will get. I think that's the thing that will get you to quarterfinals. And she's, as you say, she's done that so many times. But then making that extra step, um, and I think she's 28 now, so I don't know how many more opportunities she'll have. She's been spoken about so often as a threat on the grass, and she is. And you know, she's won three grass court titles, including one just coming into Wimbledon. But yeah, I think just got a little bit exposed today. Okay, so seeing as we have our 
prophetic tennis analysts with us and Matt who's done the analysis of the Ange Jabeur revenge tour what's going to happen tomorrow Jabeur against Sabalenka I haven't really thought about that yet. <laughs> well it was quite <laughs> well Charlie's thought about it in the macro sense obviously mm. you, if you predicted Jabeur to win the title yesterday you must still be predicting that very much so. <laughs> I made an arbitrary call and I'm going to resolutely stick to it. <laughs> Welcome to the tennis podcast, yeah. Charlie. It, it was quite interesting hearing uh, Rabatkina after the match talk about how for her the physics of the match were difficult, was the word she used. Having to get so low to deal with Ons Jabeur's ball, not necessarily the slice or the drop shots because we didn't see too many of those, but just... Just that flat trajectory, I think, was quite difficult for her. And Did you intervene to give her tips? <laughs> Matt loves a low ball. Oh, I do, yeah. Mm. This is Pam. really well timed, because I've done a piece about playing on grass and the difficulties, and part of it is about how low you need to get, mm. um, that that's one of the hardest things for players to do. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a um, assumption that grass would be a really good surface for Riley Apelka or mm, no, exactly, yeah. David Law. With their serve, yeah. David Law. But actually, no. having to get no. so low is... Is difficult. You're tall. That's what we're saying. Yeah, but supple. <laughs> I think I'd be good on grass. Did anyone ever describe David as supple? <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> How did Andy Roddick describe you? Uh, he he, he dis- describes me as. Um, uh, I can't remember now. No, I can't either. Sorry, I've put you on the spot. It wasn't hugely complimentary. No, no. Supple, it wasn't subtle. It wasn't subtle. He was trying to hype or subtle. He was trying to hype up Law against Whitaker in 2014 when we played each other at the Royal Albert Hall in our one and only ever match. And he said, "You've got to make, you've got to make him move." He doesn't strike me as a gazelle. That's what he said. And I listened and it was successful. Mm. Funnily enough, the word Sitsipas used to describe himself in my interview with him before the tournament. On on clay, exclusively on clay. Wasn't it a gazelle in the the desert? desert, Which I had to look up because that struck me as jarring. I don't think a gazelle is desert, but there are some. The Sitsipas comment struck you as jarring, Charlie. (laughs) Would you believe it? You had to fact check it. Um, but uh, on that, I mean, Radvanska obviously being someone that was cited to me as who was amazing at getting so low, and obviously mm. she reached a, a final here. And, um, and, and I think Sabalenka is better at that than Rabatkina. There was there was quite a lot of almost Radvanska esque, Kerber esque sort of sort of crouch shots from Sabalenka today. I think I think she's maybe a better athlete overall than Rabatkina. I mean, not that Rabatkina is a bad one, but Sabalenka is such a force on a tennis court um, and she does she does lead that head to head including a win at Wimbledon I guess I would stick with Sabalenka went with her pre-tournament she's still in you've made an arbitrary prediction yeah. exactly. and you're going to exactly. stick exactly. to it sometimes though I think you can go through a tournament and feel something and change or your see mind. something that makes yeah. you feel differently obviously an especially injury if you predicted Kvitova pre-tournament yeah, and you've got an opening and <laughs> <laughs> but anyway who's filling your opening well look I mean, we should add that the newsletter will contain our actual mm. final predictions tomorrow okay. in set scores but as we sit here right now I'm going to birth and, and so I will impressed. never ignore a David no, Lawrence prediction ever again. <laughs> she does make you feel things. I d- I d- and that can sometimes be problematic. Imagine I think. the emotions <laughs> of a Jabir Svitolina final. I think we're going to get that. Yeah, I was going to say, to what extent do we think whoever wins that uh, 
semi-final, the Javert Sabalenka one will win it because that's where where I'm at. But may, maybe I'm being that's being unfair. I on think the other they're one. the favourite to win it. Certainly, I, I think Svitolina will make the final, and I think she has a chance. This is something we discussed last night. Is Svitolina in the mix? Can she win it? Yes, I think she can. But I think the winner of Javert Sabalenka is is the favourite, regardless of who comes through the. Just, the other just imagine if Vondrasova just comes out and plays two, <laughs> four stone-cold sets. Well, I think, she'll win. I think she'll win tomorrow, Vondrasova. I'm quite confident on that. I don't, again, don't fully know why, but she... I don't know, okay. I just... There's so something. many unsolicited <laughs> arbitrary predictions. He's I'd, been saving them up for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've got loads more. Yeah. What's, that, what's the feeling... It, just is, it a, the, is it a game thing or is it a potential just, risk of emotional hitting think, a wall? Yeah, I just Vitalina? feel like she's playing a bit with house money at this point. She's had such a good run. There's no pressure. Are they not both, though? Svitolina's a wild card. I know, but I feel like now Svitolina has got the whole of Wimbledon behind her. Everyone's rooting for her, which is huge, and that's a boost. But I also think sometimes you have these fairy tale runs... And then it gets to a point like a semi or a final and the emotional investment that you have to put in, you know, think what this tournament must have been like for Svitolina. I just think at some point there's going to be a flatness and I, th- I think that will be tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We had Simon Briggs, formerly your your colleague at the Telegraph, on yesterday. Obviously, you're now at the Athletic, and his take was, you know, he's got two brains, hasn't he? He's got tennis fan brain, and he's got what's best for my what he wants to happen star yeah. rating yeah. brain. And <laughs> quite, quite frankly, you know, the best thing for his career success 
is a Sabalenka-Svitolina final mm-hmm. because of the news line that that brings, Belarus, Ukraine, everything that goes with it. Make of that what you will, it's just a fact. Obviously, the athletics angle on things is a little bit different. What's, what's the dream final for you? I think that would be, because ultimately for us as well, it's um, what's the biggest story? What, what gets people most interested? What has cut through? And that absolutely would. Again, I mean, with two brains, I guess there are two audiences. There's the sort of core tennis who, would re- who really want to know about forehands and backhands, but then there's the other big audience as well, which is just what an amazing story on a human level. Would be extraordinary. Do, do you get a sense of the relative sizes of those audiences? What I would say is for us, for instance, the story that's gone nuts over the past couple of weeks is one we did about uh, Wimbledon changing the all-white rule because of periods and I think that just had such a wide appeal um, because it's something that you know half the world's population can relate to so I think that those stories I think those, the, the ones that will be that will really go crazy are probably those ones but on a more consistent basis yeah that they're, they're the sort of core tennis fan that I, I don't know it's probably about 50 50 um, Interesting. But I, I think tennis is that kind of sport. I think there are there are just topics that really grab people. Um, unlike a lot of other, you know, things things like scheduling. Even people can kind of relate to that or rain, you know, rain delays. Weather is something that everyone can kind of latch onto. Um, so yeah, it's kind of juggling those two things. I think we're in a, and this applies to the men's as well. I think we're in a really good place at this stage of the tournament. I think. All scenarios are good. Look, Von Drosheva is kind of the weakest link, isn't she, in terms of story? I would find it incredibly funny <laughs> if she reached <laughs> the Wimbledon final. I love her style of play, but maybe in terms of cut through and everything, she's she's the weak, weak link. But basically, I think I think we're in a really great place. Agreed. Agreed. Just nodding, nodding. Well, I suppose nodding does work now for some of our audience but we are still a podcast <laughs> it is pleasing though it is ple- i mean look anybody who gets the semis deserves to be there but we there are certain ideal scenarios that we have at the start of a tournament and this is right up there yeah Absolutely. yeah you want to be where you feel the sporting world's or the wider world's attention is and yeah. ultimately that comes from names or people with interesting stories and i felt that you know, i was on center court watching the Alcaraz match while on my laptop I had Eubanks and I think Eubanks that's a story that for us has done really well obviously there's the American angle but that's had real cut through good piece by the way thank you very much Um, yeah he's got a great story he's got a great personality and yeah people can just really easily get on board with that you've seen how the crowds react to it yeah I've had more messages from my casual tennis watching friends today about Christopher Eubanks than anybody else had a couple out on Shabur but Chris, I mean, Claire Balding just walked past us earlier to go and record the end of um, her BBC show, and she said, oh, I'm gutted about Eubanks. Everybody had got so behind him, and he came so close today, David. He, in fact, even though he lost today, he's it, the, the stat came up, didn't it, over the course of the match, I think in the fourth set against Daniel Medvedev, that he has hit more winners at this Wimbledon than anyone in the history of Wimbledon and I'm so glad he owns that stat because 
that tells the story of his Wimbledon, doesn't it? He he deserves to have it. Yeah, and I was commentating on the third set of that, where he was just knocking Daniel Medvedev off the court. And there aren't that many people who can do that because he's standing so far back. He's absorbing so much. The courts have slowed down. And yet he's playing 90s tennis out there, Mm -hmm. just slamming serves down, going for broke off forehand and backhand. And I think it's, yeah, serving and volleying relentlessly. I think it's a massive testament to Daniel Medvedev Mm -hmm. that he didn't totally tailspin in that situation and lose. So, I mean, you know, just, just, just quickly on Eubanks. Looking back, two years ago, he was 200 in the world. He, he's, he's played four times here. He's never got through qualifying. A year ago, he lost to Lucas Russell, who is 37. And it is 11 years since Russell beat Nadal yeah. here. And that was his one and only result of note. And he, he beat Eubanks. Eubanks was about to retire, according to your piece, to go and be a commentator. And here he is. He's cracked it. And now he's... He's going to get into all the biggest tournaments in the world. And people just love him. Mm. Yeah, those those biggest tournaments in the world are going to be better for having Chris, mm-hmm. Chris yeah. Eubanks in He's them. He's brilliant, he is. I, I thought that fourth set from Medvedev today was brilliant because there was literally only one thing he could do, which was hold serve and wait and hope that Christopher Eubanks stops hitting blazing winners. And that's exactly what he did. I think he only lost a couple of points on serve in the whole set. He was he was teetering. He was on the edge, yeah. as you said. He was he was having that discussion with the umpire. We very nearly tipped over the edge and saw the best or worst of Medvedev, <laughs> depending on uh, <laughs> depending on your perspective. But he managed to keep it together, and he got it into a tie break. And that was the moment where. I do think his experience probably told. I think Eubanks' game slightly fell apart in that in that tie break. Uh, he certainly on set point he, he he dumped a volley in the net, and then in the fifth set he didn't he didn't really have anything left. Eubanks, I think he was pretty much out of gas. But for Medvedev, this match was I think won in that fourth set because that was that was a really precarious situation he was in against a player who was. He was returning so well. That's the thing I, I found amazing about Eubanks in this match. We know he's got a great serve. He said, I think of myself as a server. And I think he was really exploiting the Medvedev return position. It wasn't, wasn't really working all that well. It was allowing Eubanks to close the net and serve volley. And, but Eubanks was returning so well. And that was, that was keeping Medvedev on his toes in those first, first few sets. But Medvedev very impressive to keep his cool keep his calm and just yeah just somehow get through it what do we think about the Medvedev return position on grass Mm. it's really interesting for that piece I did on uh, Eubanks one of the people I spoke to was Paul Anacone and he was and I asked him you know what chance he have against Medvedev and he said well one of the things where I think he'd have joy is the fact that Medvedev stands so far back that gives someone like Eubanks an opening and the initiative and it's basically saying well you know the, the match is going to be on your terms ultimately I mean that generally is considered such a bad strategy on grass you know, everyone I've spoken yeah. to before this piece I mentioned says what you don't want to do is give up the court basically that might work on other yeah. surfaces you look at those players who typically are good on clay but can't do anything on grass often that's part of the problem they like to stand miles behind the baseline and just hit topspin forehands he, he sort of has found a way to make it work but I do think for those two sets it didn't help him because it just let Eubanks dominate 
and dictate. I think I think what Medvedev did well is that Eubanks is so unconventional an opponent, and and that's a, and I think that's such a big thing for these players and why so many of them struggle on grass is they love to have things just so they want to be able to hit line and length baseline shots all day and that's why hardcourt suit most of them well you're not going to get weird bounces throw in then weird the odd weird bounce you're playing Chris Eubanks and that's why I think it was really impressive that Medvedev turned it around but I don't know I don't he might say you need to do that to give yourself more time against such a big server and ultimately I guess it paid off but he, he does it against all sizes of server yeah he does but he changed it in sets four and five he stopped doing it and it's the first time all tournament that I've seen him do that mm. and he actually warned line judges about standing a little bit forward because he says, I'm going to hit you. In the first two sets, he was worried, genuinely worried about hitting them with his follow-through. And then in the fourth set and the fifth set, he started standing up towards the baseline. And it was a, it was a really interesting moment because he's obviously just... I mean, whether he's had any conversation with the coach, I don't know what you thought, Matt, but I think he just realised this isn't working. I've got to change. Yeah, I think there was a a time when we were really learning about Medvedev where one of the key traits to his game was mid-match adjustments and I think maybe we don't talk about that quite so much as we used to just because we know his game a bit more but yeah he, he really made one in, in that fourth set he didn't manage to break in the fourth set but he, he he put a lot more pressure on the Eubank serve I think it helped him just win one or two points in the tie break and then in the fifth set he absolutely sort of rolled through it it was it sort of maybe took him a little while to to figure it out and he was perhaps perhaps a little fortunate that he he did have that time to do it but you know he he, he really took advantage and I think honestly that will be a factor in his next match against Carlos Alcaraz because that was something I really remember from their match at Indian Wells the way Alcaraz with his serve could just take yeah. Medvedev off the court and then either come in or hit a drop shot. Yeah, the, the power drop shot up. combo yeah. was so effective yeah. against Medvedev and Indian Wells and Medvedev knows that. Yeah. He he will I'm fascinated about how the mind of Medvedev tracks that and plans for the match on Friday and whether Alcaraz tries to second guess that. I don't think so. I think no. Alcaraz just goes out there and says I'm Carlos Alcaraz. Um, and that drop shot is working so oof. well on the grass. Just that low so bounce. Mm. Do we? Did how close did Medvedev come today to breaking his pledge to the British mm. public? <laughs> I, I did think that that you know it's all well and good. It's very easy to be humble and gracious when you're doing well. Obviously, that becomes <laughs> a lot harder. That goes out the window when uh, when it isn't. He just about held it together. I mean, I wasn't on court for that, so I don't know and, and how it, much... Was, do we think maybe he hasn't come into press yet? We haven't had a chance to ask him. Was it the pledge he made to the public that stopped him from going over the edge? Possibly. I don't know if he's that rational. Yeah. I think once he's out there, he, I think he is a bit of... You know what I mean, Resmo said about Andy Murray? She can never quite square who the person <laughs> off the court and on the court. And I think there's a bit of that with Medvedev because he's such a lovely charming funny guy he's one of my favourite per- people to speak to at press conferences but on the court things happen weird things happen he had a phrase in his press conference the other day he was asked about that difference between on court and off court and he said off court he's he's more kind of like whatever he, do- he doesn't really let stuff affect him so much but he described himself as hot-blooded on court 
We said, yeah, hot-blooded. That's a good phrase to describe how I am. And, yeah, it, I think I, I think Charlie's right. I don't think he can fully control no. how he's feeling and reacting on court. It was it was in French, the exchange that he had with Damien did. I think he felt a bit hard done to, actually. he, he I think it was a, a batter. I didn't see it, but a batter way of the ball that hit the cameraman. Yeah. And he was given a code violation for unsportsmanlike conduct. And Damien Dumasoir quite, quite sensibly turned off his mic at this point, so I couldn't hear what was mm. going on. But the body language was one of interrogation almost of Medvedev to Dumasoir. Yeah, Medvedev something, said something like, um, how are you talking to me? If you talk to me like that off court, we're going to see or something. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of a little bit threatening in French. Um, but it sounded like maybe they were reconciling at well, the end of yeah, the Well, at the end they sort of exchanged words, didn't they? Well, yeah. well I was on Centre Court watching Alcaraz Runa and watching this on a screen, as I say, without sound. I looked at my screen and topless Medvedev <laughs> is sitting down at the chair having won the match, just gesticulating with Damien Dumoussois semi-naked. And apparently I'm told that that was them reconciling. <laughs> You're told it did happen. It wasn't like a weird fever dream. <laughs> I don't know. Someone confirmed for me, did <laughs> no, that No, I was the same thing. I was on centre, right. out the corner where I just sort of, yeah. They, they did have a protracted scene. conversation, and, it, and by the end, Dumasoir was smiling as if, like, that made you feel like Medvedev had said a funny, <laughs> and they'd probably got past it. I mean, Dumasoir is quite confrontational mm. himself. Mm. He doesn't yeah. back down from Punchy. players, does he? He'll have, a go, he'll, he'll have a go back, and that sometimes winds them up more, um, but mm. I also don't mind it, really. Oh God, no! I kind of like—I don't like to see umpires. Be, yeah. Not that I'm not accusing ever of this, but some players and Kyrgios are accused of it. Some of them bully umpires, mm. and I don't like to see that. Mm. I really hate it. Same. So Medvedev against Alcaraz because Alcaraz beat Holger Rune, a man, a couple of weeks his yeah. senior, maybe even less than Is it that. Six days. days. Yeah. Both turned 20 in May of this year in three extremely competitive sets, particularly the first set. I thought Runa was the better player in that first yeah. set, and it was, I mean, this is incredibly reductive, but basically a double fault in the tiebreak. A double fault in the tiebreak, but also an amazing point that Alcaraz played to get the early mini break, which to me just summed up why he is so different from all the guys that have come before him in the last 20 years to try and unseat the big three, big four, and that's the variety he has. He played a lob then a drop shot, and then flicked away a backhand winner, moved him up to 2-1, having, as you said, he was, he was second best. He didn't have a break point all first set. Runa only had one, but even so. Just his ability to do stuff like that, he's just so creative. Um, and I loved this match. I thought it was such a high standard. And Alcaraz, I think, it's certainly the best I've seen him play this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a, I was so pleased with that first set and how, how well they were both playing and it was actually Runa doing Alcaraz things he was the one winning the fun points mm. he hit the drop shot lob he hit the tweener it wasn't a clean winner but he ended up winning the point and afterwards he did a finger raise to the crowd it was Alcaraz's greatest hits having said in that clip that we talked about yesterday that he wouldn't take any of Alcaraz's game <laughs> actually he ended up mimicking quite a lot of it and it was all just fantastic fun and I thought it was interesting that Alcaraz, having said that he would take Runa's backhand, 
I thought Alcaraz's backhand today was phenomenal, yeah, especially was. especially on return. It won him the first set yeah. uh, with a with a winner past Runa, who was serve volleying, and it got him the crucial break in the second set to take him five four up. Another Which was his first break point in the match. Yeah, he, he just leaned on it, and yeah, I think I think probably for me the biggest, maybe the biggest revelation about Alcaraz on grass has been that backhand. I've been so impressed by how compact it is and how he's able to flatten it out and not feel rushed on it. I, I think, yes, Runa's backhand is amazing, but I think Alcaraz's is really, really holding up on, on this surface and, and sort of complements the rest of his game, which is flashy and can, you know, can sort of take your breath away. The backhand is so, so dependable and reliable. Sorry, I'm just going on about Alcaraz and backhands. <laughs> Two of my favourite things. No, that's a surprise. That, um, that lob drop shot passing shot combo, this, it's the sort of Alcaraz platter, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm. Here's all the things I can do. Aren't they great? <laughs> Set me up for them. Yeah. It was, Smorgasbord. It was a, a wonderful oh, wrenching of momentum in yeah. that tie break. And then, yeah, the, um, the double fault and then a, a backhand down the line return winner from Alcaraz. Did he see that Runa was serving volleying on set point, or did he think Runa's the type of guy that might do a slightly unwise serve and volley on set yeah. point here off a not great serve? I don't know, but what a shot. I just felt as well during that match, and while Eubanks Medvedev was going on simultaneously, just I think there's been a big worry this tournament, you know, first one post Federer, no Nadal. And again, I'm speaking as someone who's a, a huge tennis fan, so maybe I'm not the best gauge of this but it did feel like these are two really fun matches that I do feel can captivate people and that you know maybe the doom and gloom about where men's tennis is that, that it's in safe hands I mean I, who knows where Eubanks will go after this but Medvedev's not going anywhere and as you say Runa and Alcaraz only just turned 20 and the level they were playing at you know obviously we know about Alcaraz but I was really impressed with Runa as well that first set was just that, it was like exhibition stuff but in a, in, in a way of just a really competitive exhibition match yeah I, I thought the difference was the um, experience mm. golf today between Runa and Alcaraz which is extraordinary given they're both 20 years old but Alcaraz has got reps on the block at this stage of Grand Slams and major tournaments I really I really believe in Runa on grass I think it's there I think He's good at getting down low. Um, you know, he's got he's got the Matt Roberts thing. I don't think he minds a a, a low bouncing ball, um, and it's all experience for him. And it's a grand slam where he didn't he didn't fail physically. I think that's mm-hmm. quite significant. He did have a a really it was, he played five sets in the previous round, didn't he? Well, two rounds ago, he played a he yeah, played two a, rounds ago. Yeah, yeah two rounds ago. And he bounced back from time. that. Well physically I, I think that's significant for him in his development and I expect him to be back here and be a threat in the future and I saw enough today to continue my hype of that rivalry yeah back I think so. up here, I, no I, th- I think and I think he'll take way more out of this than the French Open where he also went out in the quarterfinal stage but in a really weird oh let's not really yeah <laughs> this was never I mean, like, this was so nothing bad. like that yeah even though we actually want to set in that match yeah, I mean, what, what a weird time. He's going to be fine, I think. Yeah. I, I think this is... A, do you think he'll win majors? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Do you think I, there's a I question really mark do. over that? No, I guess not. I mean, it's, it's just so hard to say at this point when a player is that young. I mean, yeah, it feels like... I feel very confident. 
and and the reason I feel confident is because of how similar to Djokovic he is, mm. and the fact that he's been able to beat Djokovic in his own game. Okay, not at a Grand Slam, yeah. but these are embryonic stages of his career. He's so early in it all. I just think he's going to keep learning. The, the, maybe the biggest concern for him would be burnout just the sheer amount he plays if that can be managed I think his appetite to learn and to improve I just think he's going to keep getting better yeah I mean I guess you I agree with Charlie you do never really know I feel like we would have been absolutely sure that Tsitsipas would have won a major in in 2019 when Dimitrov he, in 2014 right and all right Charlie there's no need to go there <laughs> I I still worry a little bit about Runa physically over five. I, I, I think he will get there. I think he needs a big win in Slam. He hasn't really had one yet. He's still so young. He's he's been he's been beat, solid in Slam. Beat the bit of Yeah, I agree. He hasn't had that moment. He hasn't has quite he? had that moment yet. But I, I I feel pretty confident that it's that it's going to come. But who, who do we feel more confident in, Runa or Sinner? Oh, I, Sinner, I would say. Oh, I was going to say Runa. Really. Yeah, I think Runa has a higher ceiling, but just for who I would trust, who I think has mm. the consistency and is kind of more there right now, I would say Sinner. I think they both will, but I would go Runa. Do you think Sinner will win a Grand Slam? I do. Curious. Yes, I do. Is Djokovic going to have to retire to do for him to yes. do that? I think so. Mm. Interesting. What, what do you think, Matt, about those two? Runa and Sinner and Runa. I think right now I'd, I'm probably with Charlie. I think Sinner's a little bit further along. Um, but I think if I had to predict now, I'd, I'd say they will both win win majors. I think Alcaraz is ahead of both of them, and I yeah. think we'll we'll stay ahead of the, we'll stay ahead of them. But if we're looking at players to take some of the slams that Alcaraz isn't going to win, when when Novak Djokovic is gone, yeah, I think I think Runa and Sinner do stand out. What's Chris Eubanks going to do from this point? This is so interesting. And again, with the interviews I did for that backgrounder on him, that was a question I asked, you know, because we've seen so many people have a breakout run at a slam. Um, <laughs> my respect to Aslan Karatsev, and who now, <laughs> of it, that feels like a bit of a joke, but... You know, he got to a Grand Slam semi-final, and there are so many, history is littered with those kind of players. Vladimir Volchkov, at oh yeah, two thousand one. Alexander Pop. Alexander Pop. <laughs> he didn't get to of a course. semi, did he? Quarter. Quarter. Yeah, quarter. He got he to didn't quarter. Same as you, Bank. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Don't trash my Alexander Pop <laughs> knowledge. There. I, I was still trying to think of the Vladiator from two thousand. <laughs> Vladimir Volchkov. Remember when he, he was a qualifier? Remember when his head was 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 put onto. Uh, the gladiator's body in uh, yeah, in, in the early days of yeah. Photoshop. It was that summer that Gladiator <laughs> the film came out, so there was that <laughs> synergy. I remember that very vivid. Him losing a straight sets to Sampras in the semi. Yeah, while you Rafa and Agassi. The ATP at this time, and did you come up with that nickname? No, I didn't. Uh, that was <laughs> you know who did, don't you? Nope. Bud Collins. Oh, that oh. cord. Yeah, the great Bud Collins came up with that nickname, and uh, the tabloids oh, ran with it, yeah. didn't they, Charlie? It's great. I mean, I, I remember. I don't that know. He was about twelve, yeah. probably. <laughs> <laughs> Almost exactly, yeah. But that was when I was 
yeah, completely obsessed, you know, during my Rosetsky phase. He lost to Vince Spader in the first round that Wimbledon, you'll remember that as well. <laughs> he went through an official Rosetsky phase. <laughs> was that I the, do remember the Spadia because that... Was that the end of his losing end? streak? Yes. yes, he was on that awful losing streak. 21? No, he lost to Spadia. Yeah, so, yeah but it was, so he ended his losing streak by facing it's Greg. Not, it's it was not a 21 match. Oh, Spadia, you mean, yeah. was on yeah. losing streak. But yes. wasn't Greg as well? Greg was in... <laughs> But Greg's not coming out well for us. <laughs> Remember that to one, be the Greg hype yeah. guy, Charlie. That's that, that one where Greg. Uh, when, when was it that he started effing and blinding all that over was 2003. the 2003? Oh. All over the tabloids. Some wanker Against in the crowd. One of the greatest. On, I was on court the water for that. bottle one. Well, there was with the Roddick, Roddick one. Yeah, I was yeah. Front row for that. I, I was, on, I was there as well. I queued like before. Guys. Yeah. I in a queue together. What a moment. Wow. Yeah. Some wanker in the crowd. <laughs> sorry, sorry Mum. Was that either of you? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't invite him. I, it just um, turned up. Anyway. I've never told Greg this, but I was cheering for Andy Roddick that day. Were you? Mm. I'm seeing Greg tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll mention it. That was when Roddick was... <laughs> Why weren't you cheering for Andy Roddick? 16-year-old girl or something. I don't know. You know. Sorry, Greg. Why am I confessing <laughs> this on a live show? Who knows? But we um, digress. I mean, you banks. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot that. Forgot the that. Gladiator and yes. some wanker <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, he's gonna have a good. He's gonna have a good life now, isn't he? I mean, he's gonna be in every draw. Sure. And yeah. Gonna, in terms of the, the sense that everyone who knows him has is that he is a great learner. He's already made such strides. He's you know because he has admit you know he's made mistakes like. Uh, someone was saying to me that after one big win he had, he was just up all night reading messages and whatever, as you would. Totally understandable behaviour, but also completely frazzling, and he lost the next match. Then he sort of puts that behind him, is able to dial in. He's had big wins, couldn't back them up. Well, this tournament, he beat Cam Norrie. And, you know, it was said to me, he could have just done victory laps and celebrated that, been like, wow, what a year I've had, and I've just knocked out last year's semi-finals British number one. He didn't do that, won his next match, and then beat Sitsa Pass. So he seems like such a great learner, someone who can process things. And the sense is that he'll be fine and will, you know, stay at this kind of level. But it will be really interesting because suddenly he's got a target on his back and also people know how he plays. I think a big thing for him in this tournament is that people are like, what is this guy doing? Why is he serving volleying all the time? I just don't really know how to deal with this. Yeah, the do people you, don't have any data do you remember on Remember when Misha, Misha Zverev had yeah. a little moment? Yes. He was going to bring back serving volley. He was going to bring back He was the saviour that tennis were looking for. And it didn't, it all went a bit Maxime Cressy, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Who right. is a future world number one, obviously. All my faves just... getting trashed. Well, <laughs> including again, by me. David, tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. I, I actually think that Chris Eubanks knows what his game is reading your piece that's something that really struck me is that he's now figured out who am i what sort of tennis player am i and no matter how you prepare for it if he executes it it's hard to deal with is he good enough to keep executing is my question mark because he spent years not winning very many matches so we'll find out is this just a hot streak it could be is he going to go into the u.s open Let's say he doesn't do. Let's say you know he does okay in the lead up to the U.S. Open events. Is this run that he's been on now here at Wimbledon? Is it enough for him to go into U.S. Open as a, a big deal? Lots of media demands and yeah, 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 yeah. He's going to be hyped. huge. Yeah, I, I mean, think. bear in mind as well. He's you know he's so friendly with Coco Golf. 
Naomi Osaka. He's a big deal. And even in Miami, he had like Jamie Foxx and other huge names cheering him on. He has that magnetism. I think the New York crowd is going to absolutely love him. I'm sure he'll... Well, I'm not sure, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on a night match early on. Because I think they, they realise this guy, just he has that cut through. He's got that magnetism. Just and, needs to be good enough to, yeah, exactly. to kind of get a couple of wins as well. Exactly. That doesn't guarantee that he'll win those matches, no. but I think he'll, he'll, he'll have the crowds massively behind him. Um, Charlie, seeing as we might not get to speak to you again, I'm going to ask you for, to, to go big on to make arbitrary predictions please. and <laughs> resolutely stick it. to them, please. Yeah. Um, who's going to make the finals and who's going to win those finals? Uh, so it's going to be Jabir von women's final that Jabir's going to win and then it'll be an Alcaraz Djokovic final that Djokovic will win have you spoken to anyone this fortnight who doesn't think Djokovic is winning Wimbledon no I can't <laughs> remember find someone yeah That's a piece. I might be changing my mind because I, I at Roland Garros after the first I, I, I'll never forgive myself for this stupidity but after <laughs> <What>? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, to that, that. We'll, yeah, we'll be part. coming back to that Carry on, no, I got, but I did the stupidest thing after watching. I think it was maybe the Davidovich Vakina match, and I thought to myself, you know what, Djokovic is vulnerable here. He doesn't look that great. And then obviously it was just that thing he does where early on, and then he went and won it at a canter. So I think it's just so hard. It's so hard to bet against him. Um, and yeah, I don't know a single person. But I, actually, I remember in 2016 when the famous Sam Query won. I remember feeling similarly confident, and I remember at that time you could not find a single person who thought he wouldn't win it. So uh, maybe he won't. But the problem is when he gets to this stage of the tournament. Yes. I mean, when did he last get this? He lost. The, oh, he lost the final at the US to, to Medvedev. But generally, and he lost. Uh, we lost the quarters last year, didn't he? To, to Nadal, Nadal. But that feels kind of a separate. Yeah, Nadal yeah. or Garros. Yeah. But you know, generally, once he gets deep. Okay, David. Explain um, yourself. <laughs> well, I um, obviously I went Djokovic at the outset of the tournament, um, but I do think when you start seeing people play matches, you can develop a, a view that is different to that. Um, and I think Alcaraz is getting better, and I think that they are going to meet in the final, and I do not think that Alcaraz is going to cramp in that final. Mm. So I haven't made up my mind completely yet. But Hang on, we all think it's going to be a Djokovic Alcaraz final. Yes, so, yes. But I haven't made my mind up about who I think is going to win yet. You're going to have to keep a close eye on the newsletter. Um, was that all just a big newsletter? <laughs> no, it actually wasn't. I genuinely am starting to think that Alcaraz might do it. I do know what you mean. I did. I did have a similar feeling on court today. The only thing with that is that. It's so hard to evaluate someone relative to Djokovic until they actually play when them. they're not playing. Exactly. So remember yeah, that 2019 Australian Open semi-final? Nadal wipes the floor with Sitspass. I remember watching that, being like, "Well, Nadal's obviously going to win this tournament because you can't play that well and not win it." And then you're like, "Oh wait, there's a whole other level that's Djokovic." But I now think that Alcaraz has got nothing to lose. Really, in that final, when they face each other, Djokovic is going for the the calendar slam. He's the man who's got something to lose. He's the favourite. Total turnaround from the French Open where everybody thinks that it's Alcraz who's going to take him out. Now that he's had the cramping issue and the assumption is, oh, he cramps when he gets in a tight situation, doesn't he? Well, yes, he did that time. 
do we think that's going to be the case I, every time? Do you I think don't. he's not going to cramp again? No, no. he'll lose in that four sets. That was a one-time thing. <laughs> do you and think it'll be, Djokovic, it'll be four competitive close sets, but he'll lose? Do you think Djokovic is more vulnerable with history on the line and going for that calendar slam, or, or do you think he grows and gets better because I, of that? I, honestly, I think. Th- I think both are possible because I think if you look back on last year, or was it two years ago when he was when he nearly did the he came one match yeah. away from the Canada Slam, he did grow, but he did hit a wall. But at the U.S. Open, yes, mm. he, he did. Thought for Yannick Sinner in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, and I, Daniel Medvedev. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, and and I think the, the beauty of the semi-final lineup is yeah. is you could make a compelling argument for other results. I still think it'll be Djokovic Alcaraz. I just think, look, all along we've been saying Alcaraz has got the game, the potential to beat even Djokovic. One day that's going to happen. One day it will happen. Oh, for sure. But but when's the crossover? And can he do it when Djokovic is still kind of at his peak? I think it's possible, and I'm just not sure yet. If If he does it when Djokovic is at his peak on grass, I think that would be... Yeah, if we're at the US Open right now, different chat. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sinner as well. You know, obviously, we, as we know, <laughs> Sinner took two sets off him. Yeah. And no one's done that since Federer here at the, in the 2019 final. So he clearly has a shot. But yeah, it'd be a huge surprise if he did win that. Hubert Hercatch, you know, yeah, he got yeah. close in several sets. He did. And now we've had even Andre Rublev getting a set against him. And we're talking about actual Carlos Alcaraz in a final having won six matches to meet him. I know, but is that a little bit like me with Davidovich Fakina saying, well, Davidovich Fakina should have won. No, it's nothing like it. It feels to me like 06, 07, 08 Federer Nadal finals. You know he's going to get there. And maybe Alcaraz won't have to do the 06. It'll just be 07, 08. I think that's that's a very well put point. I think that's very well said. Happening. That's that, okay, highly this, is, this is the matchup. These are the best two. Yeah. You're going to take over eventually, but I'm going to try and hold you off for a bit. I could absolutely believe and that. And like 06, it'll be a four set as well. yeah. win for the favourite. Some doubles results for you today. Storm Hunter and Elisa Mertens are through to the women's doubles semi-finals, as are Marie Buzkova. And Sara Cerebes Tormo, they've put French Open controversy behind them. <laughs> um, In we, their we, minds, they have. We, we had quite a lot of messages when we were saying how lovely Marie Buscover is. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the men's doubles quarterfinals today, Kevin Kravitz and Tim Puetz, the 10 seeds. Put. Oh my Otherwise, gosh. my mum will be messaging you. <laughs> Sorry, Pat Roberts. Uh, they defeated Jamie Murray and Michael Venus, and we had another men's doubles. Yeah, we had Marcel Granos, Horatio Zabaios, uh go through to the semi-finals as well. And Wesley Kulhoff, Neil Skubski, they're the top seeds through to the semis. Big tournament for them this because they've been for the last year and a half the team to beat on tour. Haven't won a slam. They haven't done it at slams and. They're into the semis now. I don't want to pile on too much pressure, but feels like this could and should be the moment, maybe. Mm. And they beat a tennis Adam today. Yes, we were, Adam oh, Pavlicek. Who we were desperately searching for <laughs> yesterday. He was right there in front mm. of us in the, in the doubles quarterfinals. Oh my goodness, there is one! <laughs> um, 
Mate Pavic and Ludmila Kitchenok made their way through to the mixed doubles final. We had mixed doubles semi-final action today. There's been boys and girls stuff going on. Matt will do some talent spotting over the course of this week and we'll bring you news from that. Charlie, you might be able to get out to court number one. Oh no, it's just ended. What was the final score? Greg Rzeski and Conchita Martinez <laughs> defeated <laughs> Thomas Enquist and Anki Othavong 7536 12 10. Wow. wow. Thriller. Thriller. He's, yeah. he's still got still it. Still got it. You'll be tweeting yeah. that later. Yeah. And that is a revenge. Well, not a revenge. What is it? Greg, Greg and Anne were a team last year. They were paired together last Grudge year. Match. So potentially awkward okay. in the locker room. Who knows? Right. I think that's just about your lot for today, except to tell you about Erin, our lovely. Wimbledon mascot, hello Erin. Our mascots, David's got Maisie, have you Maisie? Maisie, you and me, nailing it. I've got Xenia and Matt has got Darwin. No. It's going so badly. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean (laughs) King and Delana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And Matt, we have shout outs. We have Hannah Alexander from Cambridge. Like Hannah, our executive producer, and Hannah Wilkes, shout out to Hannah, in the chat right now and on our Twitter, doing heroic work all day, every day. Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. All Hannahs, all Hannahs. And Cambridge, great place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Duchess of Cambridge made a (laughs) splash here in the first week. Very (laughs) good. Thank you, Hannah. Mm. We've also got Noreen Riley. From New Jersey. Right, Noreen. Like Bruce Springsteen. Yes, we we are in the company of someone who who went to see Bruce Springsteen yes. this week. You had night two at Hyde Park, yes. right? I Didn't... said when Wimbledon was put on the athletics radar, I said that's fine, but the first Saturday I will be at Bruce Springsteen. You didn't get Thunder Road. Unlike though. you two. Didn't get Thunder Road, yeah. Or the river. No. Do you feel okay about that? We got darkness. Yeah. And Twist and Shout at the end was fun. I was gutted about Thunder Road also because I was just like, this is an app. It didn't even cross my mind that we wouldn't get it. Um, but it was great. I'm trying to make myself feel better yeah. about the fact yeah, that we um, have to sell our tickets. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm doing. That, mm. I, we tried to put our foot down. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I made objections. <laughs> anyway, hope you're enjoying the live shows, guys, because... The sacrifices we have made. <laughs> Honestly. It's all worth it. Um, thank you, Noreen. Yeah, thanks, Noreen. And finally, we've got Lauren and Christian Rootberg from Malibu, California. Wow. Well, hello, Lauren and Christian. Like Christian Rude. Yes. Christian Harrison. Yes. Oh, that's that's the brother to get a Who Christian Harrison played doubles with Chris Eubanks at the US Open when Eubanks made his debut this is knowledge off the scale Mm. Christian Harrison is married to somebody in tennis or Ryan Harrison is married to someone's sister (laughs) one of the two someone's brother is married to someone's sister (laughs) I feel like Madison Keys might be involved somewhere anyway imagine if she's not (laughs) I think we might have She's met... She's going to be Brett Bre- uh, Frontangelo. No, no, mm. Madison Keys isn't married oh. to anyone. Okay. Anyone well, Frontangelo. Yeah, yeah, Bjorn, what's it? But not um, a Harrison. Yes. No, but someone's sister is married to someone's brother. Anyway, 
Christian and Lauren, like Lauren yeah. Davis, who almost, almost beat, beat Jessica, Jessica Pagula. Pagula. Mm. And um, I think we might have met Lauren and Christian at Indian Wells this year because they said in their in their shout out thing that we hope to run into you in person at Indian Wells so we can discuss with David how Luisa Stefani truly is some player. And I remember having that conversation. Thank you, Wells. Lauren and Christian. Thank you, Lauren and Christian. Validation. And also, thank you to Cheryl on our chat, who points out that Ryan Harrison is married to Christina McHale's sister. <laughs> uh, but she also points out she doesn't know if that information is current. <laughs> That's nearly good knowledge. <laughs> Definitely a good lead. Thank you to all of our shout-out friends, to our intro friends, to our friends. We are very grateful to you being our friends and for supporting this podcast year round Charlie we're very grateful to you for being here David's plugged the newsletter enough tonight so I won't do that again but do subscribe to the newsletter it is free and the link is in our show notes as is the link to become a friend leave us an Apple podcast review please hit like and subscribe if you're enjoying the show on YouTube and tell your friends please Not us, friends, like your actual friends. And we will see you and speak to you here live from Wimbledon tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.